Welcome to the Driven Woman Podcast, where we're on a mission to empower women with the mindset, tools, and strategies so that they can lead powerfully and authentically in order to make a massive impact on this world. I'm your host, Sophia Bryan. Hey there, Driven Women. I have an amazing guest for you today. I'm very excited uh, to introduce her to you all because this is another Jamaican who has done exceptional work overseas and within the Caribbean. So I'll get right into her bio. So my guest describes her life's work as helping executives, entrepreneurs, and high achieving professionals succeeding by connecting them to knowledge, opportunities, and systems that support their growth while staying aligned to their authentic selves. Great, right? As the former CEO of Richard Branson's Center for Entrepreneurship, she coached over 220 entrepreneurs, created online programs for over 2,500 entrepreneurs, built a team of 12, and spearheaded a shift towards a venture capital model. No, she's thrilled to have launched Soul Career, which is a coaching company supported by online courses that helps executives, professionals, and entrepreneurs discover their life's work, lead authentically, and build powerful legacies. She's done other interesting things like uh, economic research for the book, Super Freakonomics. I've never heard of it. <laughs> I'm going to Google that. Worked as a management consultant in the private equity group at Bain & Co. in New York City, consulted for the Ministry of Finance in Jamaica, and worked in corporate strategy for a Caribbean conglomerate. She has an MBA with honors from Harvard Business School and a BA Bachelor of Arts in Economics with honors from the University of Chicago. My guest today is Miss Lissandra Ricards, and um, I'm looking forward to this chat. Hi, Lissandra. Hi, thanks for having me, and yes, I'm yes, excited yes. to talk with you too. Yes, I, I have no idea how you are able to condense all your accolades in this short paragraph like <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> it's also condensed but it's it says a lot about um your background but of course there's it's so much more rich but yeah congrats <laughs> on being able to do that <laughs> Multiple iterations. <laughs> I commend if they're trying to do this. Thing. That's amazing. <laughs> All right, Lissandra. Um, so you've obviously spent a lot of time in the United States. I'd love to know what your childhood was like growing up and how some of those experiences have shaped your journey today. Sure. So I grew up as the first child in my family to go to college. Um, Interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, both of my parents are from the country, from Linstead, St. Catherine. Mm. And, but they moved to Kingston and had me and my brother. Um, my mom worked as a customs officer at the airport. And my dad was very entrepreneurial. So he mm -hmm. did different things. Like he had some horses that he raced at the mm -hmm. race track. He was a painter in the U.S. when he lived there for a short time. He came back to Jamaica. So he's a free spirit. Mm -hmm. And my mom <laughs> incredible work ethic, very hard working civil servant, was at the airport for like 
30 years, you know, wow. and then so I got the best of both worlds, a mm-hmm. strong work ethic plus a very free-spirited entrepreneurial side yes. as well. You know, my mom always drilled into me and my brother that education was the key to getting ahead in life. And so she always said to me from I was very young, like four years old, you're going to go to Campion College and mm-hmm. then you're going to Harvard overseas. Did you <laughs> so, go to Campion? I did. Oh my God. <laughs> so she manifesting this yes. from very, very young. And yeah, that's exactly what ended up happening in my life. So, you know, parents out wow. there, you can speak some things over your kids' yes. lives and call it into being for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel like she's saying that to you, it's almost as though you subconsciously wanted to live up to that in a way. Was that the case? Like you wanted to, to make her feel proud. And so, you know, you worked hard to attain those things. That was a big part of it. But the other side of that is I also rebelled against it. Really? I never... (laughs) What? (laughs) I rebelled against this idea that someone else was dictating my life. Uh And around fifth form in high school, I wanted to choose my own life. Mm -hmm. She wanted me to study medicine and I wanted to study business and economics. Mm -hmm. So we had big war over that in fifth form (laughs) to the point where my econ teacher had to step in and say, hey, let her study what she wants to study. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I remember too that I didn't go to Harvard College. Mm -hmm. I didn't but undergrad, because again, I wanted to choose my own. <laughs> but I ended wow. up going to anyway, so she won in the end. <laughs> wow, wow, that's so interesting. When I was in a fifth form, uh, I think my class was one of the first set of students that uh, did econ, that were introduced to econ in fifth form. And I, I really loved that subject, interestingly. Yeah. It wasn't on my regular course load. I actually took it on as an extra subject. And all my classmates hated me because I wasn't in their class, yet still I was doing better than them in the exams. <laughs> Repeat that? Oh, uh, Meadowbrook High, Meadowbrook High. Mm-hmm, that the green and blue plaid. <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah. No, I'm a big proponent of taking econ and business from mm-hmm. high school because you understand more about the world when you understand supply and demand, Mm -hmm. when you understand how business works and it opens up your trajectory in life. You can choose many things when you use those subjects. Whereas when you do like pre-med track, it's a very narrow focus very early. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And doing econ actually... I learned about scarcity and yes. finance and poverty. And mm-hmm. I became very passionate in fifth and sixth form about coming back to Jamaica, getting as much knowledge as I could overseas, mm-hmm. but coming back to help fix the economy yes. the way Nigel Clark is doing right now. Mm-hmm. That was my dream for myself in high school. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're still young and fresh, so <laughs> anything is possible. It's not my dream anymore. <laughs> it was my dream back then. Okay. <laughs> Okay, awesome. I never imagined that you would have said your parents um, 
were from the rural side of Jamaica and that you were one of the first to, to go to university. That's very interesting. When you started college, was that the first time you went to the U.S.? Well, my parent, my mom's sisters lived in Florida. So mm. I oh, so there. you got the opportunity to go there. But mm-hmm. first time living away from mm-hmm. my Mm-hmm. What was that experience like for you? Ah, gosh, it opened up the world to mm-hmm. me, you know. Um, well, one thing I would say is I was a bright spark, you know, mm-hmm. what you call a bright spark in high school and in prep school. So I got a scholarship to go. Mm-hmm. So my parents didn't have to go into a lot of debt to send me to college. And when I got there, I felt very um, homesick, I think, the first year. Mm. But Chicago, I went to University of Chicago undergrad. Chicago is very cold, very, very cold. (laughs) And overcast for like eight months out of the year, very snowy. It was a real shock compared to Jamaica where it's sunny Mm -hmm. all year round. Mm -hmm. And I, but I had a strong group of friends, a strong work and that really helped me through the University of Chicago has a very rigorous program as well it's one of the toughest core curriculum in the U.S. Um, Mm. and I was doing econ there which is very hard it's the school that produced a lot of Nobel Prize winners in economics Milton Mm. Friedman, Gary Beckel these very famous economists came out of the University of Chicago So it was rigorous, it was cold, it was dreary, (laughs) and it was a shock, but um, I was learning a lot. I was experiencing new foods in Chicago for the first time, so Japanese, and Mm. I learned how to use chopsticks in college, and (laughs) um, I traveled more, and I had this amazing group of friends who exposed me to the world. Mm-hmm. One of them lived in New York City in this like penthouse apartment overlooking mm-hmm. um, the East River or the Hudson River and New York and Chicago. And it was amazing. Mm-hmm. But by the third year, I had gotten so, it was too dreary. I, I needed a break. So I ended up deciding to study abroad for a year in Spain. And that mm-hmm. was really life changing. Wow. I said that you took on the free spirit from your father. That's <laughs> that's pretty cool. Definitely. So as a Jamaican, young Jamaican, because you would have been in, you know, 18, 19 at that time. Uh, do you feel like that played a major role in your sense of identity? Was it was your sense of identity ever challenged in any way? Or did the experience also help you to reinforce who you were or who you believed yourself to be? Great question. Well, I felt challenged in the first two years in college by Mm -hmm. a very rigorous program where I'm a perfectionist and I want to pull out the top grades. But what that did to me to get those grades was I was very burnt out by Mm -hmm. myself. Okay. I would stay up until 5 a.m., you know, all nighters. Yeah. really run myself into the ground to do well. And so I had migraines all the time. I had a lot of back pain and I felt so disconnected from my core self because in Jamaica, I was a lot more balanced. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do well in school, but we party. I partied, mm-hmm. you know, went out mm-hmm. to carnival, jump carnival, party, have friends, have a social life and have school. It was just a lot more balanced. 
And when I went to Chicago, it became very unbalanced on the achievement side. So by the time I went to Spain, I really just wanted to reconnect with my more bohemian free spirit. <laughs> so, you know, I skull class for the first time in my life in Spain. What? <laughs> <laughs> travel around Europe. So I would mm-hmm. sleep out for like a week of classes and go to Rome and Paris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and I really discovered freedom and writing and architecture and history and food and culture. All of that just came to life in me when I lived in Europe. And I remembered that part of myself and I didn't want to let go of that again. Mm. So in terms of this question of identity... Um, living abroad helped me to unlock the free spirit. It also helped me to recognize that's how much I could achieve. Yes. But then I came to a point where I felt very disconnected from my identity as a Jamaican. Mm-hmm. One of my friends, or I had one Jamaican friend my whole college experience. So I wanted to move back to Jamaica to reconnect with that part of myself so I didn't lose mm-hmm. that side of myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Amazing. I noticed that you speak about leading authentically. Can you expound a little bit about what you mean by that? Yes. Love this question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, when they step into a leadership role, feel that they have to become something become a caricature Mm. this leadership persona that they put on like a costume so they have to become more formal and more they have to dress a different way they have to be more authoritarian with their team and when I stepped into my role I didn't believe any of those things I believe that I could still be my warm bubbly bubbly, effervescent Mm -hmm. self and still be a good leader But the reality is we are used to having a leader that has a certain persona, we as team members, right? So there is that, there are two sides of this story where you as an individual stepping into this leadership persona that's different from who you really are. Mm -hmm. And then there is society that expects, oh, now you're a leader, now you're going to act a certain way. So in the face of all of this internal pressure from yourself and external pressure from other people, how do you maintain your personality, your identity? How do you bring that to the fore as a leader? Can you be a vulnerable leader? Can Mm -hmm. you cry in front of your team? Can you openly express things with your team? Or do you pretend when you step into that role to have all the answers, Mm -hmm. be the authority, that that pretense is what we try to step away from in the course. Mm, awesome, awesome. I love that. That's so powerful, especially when you said, can I cry in front of my team? <laughs> because I feel like leadership, is, it's a lifestyle. Yeah, nobody is necessarily born a leader, but if that is the path that you choose to trod, it almost becomes like a lifestyle. Why pretend or, you know, why feel as though you need to morph into something else. So I really, I really love that point. I'm really interested to know how you were able to land your job at Branson Center. Um, I think Richard Branson is like one of those living legends. And um, <laughs> it must have been some 
some str- well let me not even <laughs> guess how did you make that happen for yourself right so Branson Center was a real soul career for me mm-hmm. and one of the things I say to my clients is that you can have more than one soul career you know mm-hmm. every step of the journey it's a whole soul career journey and you want to make every step as authentic to you and soulful as possible and the way I came to the Branson Center was through manifestation, to be quite mm, honest. Mm. I left Harvard Business School and I ended up in finance and I felt that I was living someone else's dream mm. and not my own. Interesting. I remember I worked in private equity at Bain in New York and our office was right below the Times Square balloon you know, the New Year's Eve balloon, you could look out the window and see it at the time. And I was like, I should be so happy to be here, but I just (laughs) feel so unhappy. And the reason for that is I was very separated from my personality. Mm. I was living from my mind and not from my soul. So my mind said, go to University of Chicago, go to Harvard Business School, then you go to Bain. Then you go into private equity, achieve, 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 make more Mm -hmm. salary and live a comfortable life. But my soul needed more freedom, more exploration, more experimentation. And I hadn't given it that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, My personality type on Myers-Briggs is ENFP, which is the most nomadic, you know, soulful kind of personality. Mm -hmm. Most ENFPs become journalists and travel a lot and write and express and communicate. But I was in a very analytical, technical, building models, financial models, Mm. working all hours of the day and the night. And I was like, I don't even know what my dream for myself is. Because growing up in any developing country, your parents tell you, work hard, achieve, achieve, get the good job, get the high salary and you're set for life. But when you have all those things and you're still unhappy, you have to now go back to square one and say, Mm -hmm. what will make me happy? So I did a lot of visioning exercises. I did a lot of psychometric tests. I just tried to strip away all the external layers and get back to the core of who I was and get to know that person I had subdued her and suppressed her for so long. So I needed these tests, these psychometric tests. I needed these visioning exercises. Like one question I asked myself was, if money was no obstacle, what would I do with my days? And the answer was, I would be a travel blogger. I would Mm, travel through Europe, write on my blog, do some videos, and live a very free experience. So then I started visioning, okay, Mm -hmm. if that's what I want to do, how do I bring this into my life? Um, I read this book called Think and Grow Rich with Mm -hmm. everybody who studies law attraction. Yeah, it's a very powerful book, you know. I did all the exercises and I ended up quitting my job in finance one November, not knowing what I was going to do next. I had moved back to Jamaica. I was living in my parents' house, come back from Harvard Business School, and up back in your parents' house that you left when you were 18 <laughs> years old, okay? Quit your last job, no savings, whole heap of debt from business school. And I'm like, wow, okay, what was it all for? 
yeah. it all meant nothing. So let me just forget this business thing, forget everything, mm-hmm. and move back to Spain. And as an illegal immigrant, <laughs> <laughs> become a waitress and travel blog <sighs> and write on the side and discover myself <laughs> and forget all of this Harvard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And it was at that moment that an email landed in my inbox from Lisa Lake, who was the CEO of of the Branson Center at Mm -hmm. the time, looking for part-time trainers for entrepreneurs, helping to train Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs in business principles three days a week, Mm -hmm. very low pay. And I was like, you know what? I can do that for six months. I have a lot of experience with business and case studies. I yes. can build a program for entrepreneurs three days a week. Great. I can travel, do my blog on the side, write my book and save up the plane ticket to execute on my plan of moving back to yes, Spain sir. and becoming a travel blogger. And I was going to do it for six months. And then seven years later is when wow. I <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. I love that you talk about what people describe as quote-unquote woo-woo because yeah. <laughs> the inner work is so key. Um, I, I do visioning as well, but I also write a lot of things, you know, you know things to what they say, reprogram the mind or mm-hmm. speak to yourself. So like I'm all about that because I know it works and I there are so many things that we have to overcome from our environment, especially like for me, there wasn't a lot of examples of affluence coming up. And so I literally had to expose myself and bring myself into those kinds of environments and those kinds of scenarios. Exactly. And to feel and to feel comfortable, you kind of have to trick yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like tricking yourself that this is normal, this is okay. You know, no, they are not. You know, when you see people do certain things, you're like, oh my God, your my natural inclination would be like, oh, that's excess. And then I have to tell myself that, no, this is normal for some people. And no, they're not being um, excessive or overspending or anything like that. They're just living a lifestyle that they've chosen. So I do agree with, you know, and I'm glad that you did the psychometric thing, testing and things of that, because we also have to do a lot of assessment and reflecting and and to decide what we want. And um, Absolutely. Some of us don't want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to take a a very close look at yourself sometimes, you know, because I'm a big believer that what we have in our lives is what we've created from our minds. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, of course, you know, you're blessed and there's luck and timing and the universe that goes into it, but it is also imagining what your life could be Mm -hmm. and going after it Mm -hmm. with no doubts and no stopping or in spite of all the doubts and the fears you move forward because what you just described is what I'm doing right now Mm -hmm. like I'm used to having a salary you know and now I'm stepping out in my own being an entrepreneur with income instability and I'm like 
oh God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I have to do that reprogramming of my mind and look at other examples. And if that guy can do it, I of right. course can do exactly. it. Too. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm currently reading um, Secrets of Six Figure Women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and the book is speaking about, you know, what six, six figure women are doing, what strategies they've implemented. And every time I read a book like this, they always go back to the mind work and yeah. the conversations we have with ourselves and where we see ourselves going, what we think we deserve and our propensity to do the things that make us feel uncomfortable And so for every level, there's a different level of conversation that is required for us to get there. You have to change your relationship to risk Mm -hmm. in order to level up in life. Mm -hmm. Because we in Jamaica are taught to avoid risk, take the tried and true path because poverty is next door. Mm -hmm. If you try and fail, the depths that you can sink to are so real and so present to us that we try to avoid that at all costs, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And so that conditioning limits us. We have a lot of limiting beliefs as a society around what we can achieve because we are conditioned to be so risk averse. So we have to change our relationship to risk in order to step out of that comfort zone and try something different. So I actually didn't want to become CEO of the Branson Center. Mm-hmm. I don't like stress. Mm. You know, I have physical reactions to stress um, where my hair falls out in clumps with like bald spots mm, in my head wow. if I get too stressed. Or I have chronic acid reflux from stress, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't like stress. But and so when the opportunity came up, I was really like, should I go after it or should I not? My life is pretty great right now. I work four days a week. I have enough (laughs) income now. I can remote work from anywhere I want. Why would I take on the burden of leadership? And it's something every leader has to ask themselves because, yes, there's the glamour and the title, but it comes with a lot of pressure too, right? Mm -hmm. But I decided to take the risk to do it because I knew that it would unlock another level of my life. And the goal of my life when I'm on my deathbed is to look back and say, I lived the crap out of my life. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Awesome. I did it. I did everything. I tried everything I wanted to try. And now I'm ready to transition to the next Mm -hmm, phase. mm -hmm. So if I stay stuck in one little managerial, you know, or lower level job my entire life, I'm going to have regrets when I die. And I don't want to live that way. Exactly. And the irony of it is that the very thing that we are trying so hard to avoid by avoiding risk, it's almost as though it's the same thing that we end up experiencing because not um, yes. doing things that are involve risk, you know, the returns may not be as big as uh, we'd ideally want them to be. So exactly. I love that point. How did you know that it was time to move on from Branson and launch Soul Career? Yeah, so, wow. <sighs> um. I got very good at listening to my mm. inner navigation system. Mm. Yeah. And at the beginning of 2019, I had no plans to leave the Branson Center. Mm, interesting. <laughs> <You know>? Wow. 
Yeah. But I ended up leaving at the end of 2019. So what happened in the middle? <laughs> <laughs> what happened was I went back to Spain for the first time in 15 years. And all of the things I felt as a 20-year-old girl yes. escaping the pressures of University of Chicago, I felt again. I felt life. Mm-hmm. Have you felt life recently? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just in, I was just in this routine of work, home, gym, work, home, gym, right? And I went back to Spain. I was speaking at a conference there. And then I took two weeks and just toured the country from north to south. Mm. And the food and the people and the flamenco and the culture and the history and the art and the architecture. And I just was like, I want to feel life again. Yes. Right? And so that was a big thing. And then I came back from Spain. And two weeks later, I turned 35 which is a milestone birthday. Yes. And when you turn one of these milestone birthdays, you look back and you say, okay, have I done the things I wanted to do? And then you look forward and you say, what do I want to do by the time I reach the next milestone birthday? So by the time I'm 40, what do I want to have achieved by that time? And the big thing for me was I want to build my own business. Mm -hmm. And the second big thing is I want to create a location independent life where I can live in Spain for six months, come back to Kingston, travel here, travel there if I want. And I want to give myself the opportunity to meet my life partner. Yes. Oh, thank you for saying that part. Yeah. And I don't know if he's in Jamaica, you know? I've Probably, been in yeah. I don't know. I don't make it yet. I might have to go somewhere else. <laughs> and the important thing is being open to that and, and um, seeing it. I'm glad you said that because um, so many of us young professional women, um, we've been conditioned, I think, to feel as though that part of our lives is not important or we can suppress it forever. And then, you know, people reach 40 and want to have a child or something. And they're like, oh, crap, I ignored dating for all these years. What do I do now? And I don't think anybody really wants to be in that space. So, hey, balance is important. Right. Um, And just that idea of a partnership mm -hmm. to live your life with you. And, you know, we can't, Jamaican women especially, and I'm sure other women too, but Jamaican women, it's, we think, you know, we can do this ourselves. Mm-hmm, we got exactly. this. Yeah. Because we live in a matriarchal society. Mm-hmm. Um, e- the women are the head of the household here. Yeah. Even though there's a lot of toxic max- masculinity mm-hmm. where that male ego tries to subdue women. But women in our society are the ones that are managers and moving up in business and graduating from college 80 percent of college graduates are women in jamaica Mm -hmm. so women are used to shouldering a disproportionate amount of the burden of adulthood in our society and so you you know your mother tells you go and push and don't worry about no man because man will just bring it up i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yep i've heard it (laughs) but the truth is you want a partner an equal to share life with you and we have to acknowledge that and i'm acknowledging that Mm -hmm. and 
in order to do that, at least for me, I have to create, be very intentional about creating space in my life for Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, though, I have come to a place in my life where I want to date and marry my equal. Mm -hmm. I want someone who comes, steps to me as a man and not not inconsistent, not wishy-washy, but is strong and knows what he wants and what he wants is me. And for me to attract that, I had to become my own woman too and step into my own power as a woman. Mm -hmm. And I've done a lot of work on that too. Mm -hmm. So multiple reasons why I knew it was time for a change in my life. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm gonna re- I'm gonna listen to that sentence over and over again. Coming <laughs> into my own as a woman, so recognizing that this is who I am and this is what I desire, and being open for it. Yes, exactly. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, this is so good. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, um, wow. What? All right. I mean, all people, give me a moment to ask another <laughs> question. Okay. <laughs> Well, I will just add to that and say at 35 is the first time in my life that I feel very solid in who mm-hmm. I am and how, what it took for me to get here was leading a yes. team and being responsible for other people helped a lot. Um, I, stepping into that role, I actually had to start therapy because I had mm, so much obligations to the board, to my team, to investors, to donors, to the entrepreneurs. I felt like I was being pulled in a million different directions. Mm. So I started seeing a therapist just to hold center, Mm. to step into myself while having all of these obligations. And I'm sure a lot of mothers feel that way too, you know? Mm. And that though helped me, that inner work, that removing mental blocks that becoming very solid in my power as myself, Lysandra, a woman, not trying to be something else, being my true self, all of that contributed to me being in the place that I am in now. Mm-hmm. Powerful. So along this uh, career path and along this journey of entrepreneurship, share with us what has been your best advice and your worst advice uh, received. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So the best is don't do it alone. Mm, yes, yes. One of the first things I did was get a co-founder who happens to be my brother, Warren. Oh, nice. <laughs> because I am an extrovert, ENFP on Myers-Briggs, mm-hmm. which means that I get my energy from other people, from being around people. If mm-hmm. I'm at home by myself for too long, I need to go to the supermarket. I need to go <laughs> walk up and down. <laughs> right? I just need to be around people to get my energy back. And knowing that about myself, um, I needed a co-founder to help me go through the ups and downs of this journey. So that was one. The second thing is going back to this idea of changing your relationship to risk. I was taking a very risky decision by moving out of a situation where I had a steady, consistent income into one that could become inconsistent. Mm -hmm. And so the way I mitigated that risk and tried to de-risk that decision was I want to take on investors. Mm -hmm. This is what I taught my entrepreneurs to do at the Branson Center. And now I want to do it for myself. 
and reaching out to my network and really working the network I had yes. built to support me to build this vision that I have in my mind. And the people who have really stepped forward and said, yes, Lysandra, I believe in you. I believe in what you can create and I will support you financially to do mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. That just makes me feel Whoa. so grateful and blessed yes. to be able to, to have that support. But it's even beyond that. It is, I worked really hard to put that network in place yes. so that when I was ready to use that network, mm-hmm. they stepped forward. Mm-hmm. So that's the best advice. Just surround yourself with support. Get a coach, get a mentor. Yeah. If you like me, I'm a coach. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and have someone hold your hand as you're going through the journey. The worst advice. Oh, what's the worst advice I've received about being an entrepreneur? That it's crazy that, you know, why would you take all your talent and everything you've achieved and go try to do this little online thing, coaching thing? Like, why would you do that, Lissandra? Why don't you go get a big corporate job with a big salary (laughs) and holy for benefits, you know? And yeah, a lot of people think that way. And the answer to that goes back to my personality type, free spirit, And going back to that idea of at the end of my life, what do I want to have done while I was here on earth? And one of the big things is I want to see if I can build my own brand, my own company and create a lot of value in the world for other people through this vehicle that I've created. Building a business is not just about putting out transactions and products and services into Mm -hmm. the world. Business is a vehicle for self-actualization Yes, of the entrepreneur. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And for me to fully self-actualize in this world, in this time that I'm alive, I have to try. I have to go for it. I might fail and come back on your podcast and say, well, mm-hmm. I went broke. <laughs> you know, I didn't go to Spain, whatever. But I'm willing to take that risk at this right. point in time. Mm-hmm. I feel like... Within our Caribbean space, coaching, personal development, uh, the appreciation for it has a long way to go. But I know that there are some people who are really literally killing it in the industry. Um, It's a billion dollar industry. And um, I have no doubt that you flourish one way or the other. I have no doubt about that. Um, One thing I will say is, you know, get some experience Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that because um, you can't you can't advise people on anything about life if you haven't really lived. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. So I think that's that's the biggest thing. And um, some persons want to shortchange a journey. Beyond that, it's uh, become a professional Mm -hmm. first Mm -hmm. before you can't become an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I, I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but. I feel very strongly that the tools that you learn as a professional, like you have mm-hmm. to get up, you have to show up, mm-hmm. you have to deliver, yeah. um, that bodes you really well when you become an entrepreneur because mm-hmm. when your schedule becomes your own and you have to self-manage, and that is the thing that really kills a lot of entrepreneurs is that when they go out on their own, they can't self-manage and they mm-hmm. can't create the things yeah. that they want to create. 
So. Mm -hmm. And then the discipline component, because there discipline. are going to be days when you really just don't feel like it, but you have to, um, as you say, self-manage, have that schedule in place, have commitments exactly. and honor those commitments. Even when, the, you know, there's no one over your, your shoulder saying, hey, I need this to be done by 6 p.m. or, or what exactly. have you. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you have the opportunity to be in a leadership position, how to build a team, how to motivate mm -hmm. a team, how to get buy-in, how to set a strategy, how to follow up to make sure that things get implemented, um, how to lead authentically. All of those tools, the more tools you acquire, the more likely you'll be successful as an entrepreneur. Yes, definitely. Entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. It takes money, it takes time, it takes your blood, sweat, and tears, mm -hmm. you know. So just be as prepared as you can before you step into that role. Yeah, definitely agree with that because even for me, you know, uh, a lot of the experiences I've had understudying persons who are doing extremely well as entrepreneurs, well, mainly in like the legal field, I find myself going back to some of the lessons I learned while working directly under those persons. And it has been so invaluable because you get to really observe at a very close range to what a leader is like, what it's like managing money, what it's like having the burden of making yes. sure something floats and being able to see that I'm being able to be a part of that whole process and, you know, contributing to it in a valuable way that really does help when you Definitely. decide to start your own thing. So I agree with you. Um, I think it's a good idea to get a regular job before branching out or even while doing your own thing, because there are some things that you just have to learn on the job, I think, yeah. you know. So All while earning a consistent I've steady income, yes. which does not hurt. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Do you have a favorite book? I do. You know, a lot of people read a lot of business books mm -hmm. to help pretty much get themselves an MBA if they haven't done an MBA, right? But I find myself, it's, it's like eating vegetables when you read when I read business books <laughs> it's like there's dessert books and then there's <laughs> vegetable books <laughs> and yeah so I find business books very formulaic you know right like let me tell you my theory and give you a bunch of anecdotes in different chapters yes <laughs> so I have to there are books that I just have to read because it's contributing to a body of knowledge in business but my preference is for fiction mm. I love stepping into other worlds other countries other times I love learning about history and culture through fiction Mm -hmm. So my favorite books are like these epic journeys from one continent to another and you follow a family and they're going through World War II or they're going through the mm -hmm. Haitian Revolution and you learn history and politics and culture yeah. all through the story, right? Mm -hmm. um, so my favorite book is actually this book called Cutting for Stone, okay. which follows a family from India to Ethiopia to New York and it's just so interesting and insightful and there's another book that I love by Isabel Allende that follows a guy from France to Haiti to New Orleans mm. that trajectory of so many French people during that colonial yeah. period so very interesting that's what I love 
Mm-hmm. You know. That's interesting. Yeah. So get, books I'll read to eat my vegetables. Yes. <laughs> and then when you need to decompress and connect with self, you read fiction. That's amazing. Do you have a personal mantra or saying that you live by? Yes, it is. Everything that I'm experiencing is exactly what I'm supposed to be experiencing. <sighs> <laughs> Sometimes I tell myself that when things are haywire and I'm like, oh, is this exactly. supposed to be happening? <laughs> exactly. That's when I need it, right? Mm-hmm. So if I, you know, get rejected by, let's say, a client, I'm trying to land a client for soul career and they decide not to move forward with us for whatever reasons. Mm-hmm. Like, well, the reason I'm in this experience is to learn how to sell better, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or if I get rejected in a relationship, the reason I'm in this experience is to learn how to step into my authentic self more. Mm -hmm. So everything that happens, especially if it's something negative is in order for you to evolve into the person that you're supposed to become. Um, Yeah. So that's Mm, my thanks for sharing that. Uh, What would be your number one tip for women who are thinking about launching a business or just starting or embarking on a new venture? Gosh, this changes every time I get asked because I have mm. holy for number one tips. Mm. <laughs> of course, one would be don't do it by yourself, you yeah. know. But the other one that I w- would want to share now is ensure that the business model that you're pursuing matches the lifestyle that you want to create for yourself. Mm, yes, yes, yes. I'm snapping my fingers for that. Yes. <laughs> A lot of people create companies that they are then imprisoned by, right? Because they cannot escape the cycle of do, 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 outing fires. And they didn't create a business model that would elevate them above that and help support them in the life they wanted to create for themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, do that first and then find a partner to do it with. Yes. I'm going to ask you to put on your Harvard hat for just a moment. (laughs) I don't want to take it for granted that people understand what the term business model means. So can you just explain to them what that means? It is how will the business make revenues and profits Mm -hmm. and what are the cost structures? Mm -hmm. So And for me, it goes deeper into, and I'm just adding this into my definition of business model. Mm -hmm. How do you spend your time in the business? Yeah. So that's a very personal definition for me because I knew that when I built my own company, I don't want to be working 100 hour weeks in that company. I need balance to be my best self and to bring forth the greatest value that I have to give in the world. And so I needed a business model that would help me create that balance, um, which is why I really like the online course, podcast, uh, coaching model mm-hmm. where it's leveraged. You build a course one time, it exists forevermore, but it mm-hmm. still feels custom and specific through the coaching part of right, it. Right. But then I do group coaching a lot more than I do one-on-one so that it's scaled and people learn from each other and it's not just learning from me, which is mm-hmm. very powerful too. And the podcast, it's like creating things that exist beyond you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that model appealed to me a lot because of how I would spend my time. Other people like creating products, right? So then I would say, 
perhaps you want a co-packer that's based elsewhere that does all the manufacturing and you are the inventor and that supports you in being your best self. And you don't have to get involved in the technical logistical aspects of manufacturing. So just think about revenues, profits, costs, but also how are you spending your time? Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. And, and your soothing voice helps <laughs> with <laughs> digesting all of those complicated things. You know what? The, my favorite thing about our conversation is the fact that we're all just human beings. Even if we've been able to accomplish great things, all of us, we have the same challenges and we, have, we all have to do the same amount of work to build ourselves and no one escapes the work. Yeah, you know, so I I feel like that has really come out in our conversation. So my final question to you, Lysandra, is what keeps you driven? Yeah, so it's that my why, you know, what is my vision of the life I want to lead and the legacy I want to leave behind? So I became I became really interested in Buddhism 10 mm-hmm, years ago mm-hmm. um, because I got to this place when I was living in New York where I felt like I couldn't turn my mind off. Okay. My mind controlled me and I couldn't control it. It was just spinning and spinning and spinning, keeping me up at night. And I came across Buddhist practices in okay. meditation and mindfulness, etc in order to turn off the constant flow of thought. And where what that means for me today is that one of the principal tenets of Buddhism, the first tenet, I think, is to think about death yeah. a lot. Okay. Life is temporary for everyone. And when you come to terms with your life being temporary, You think a lot about, well, what do I want to do with it while I'm alive? Mm -hmm. And that is the thing that keeps driving me forward. Well, what I want to do next is build my own company and have a baby and have a husband. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I want to manifest those things and drive towards that. And maybe when I've done those things, there will be another thing that I want to do with my life before I leave it behind. Um, So thinking about my deathbed is what really keeps me driven. <laughs> mm, that's so interesting. Wow. Interestingly, my, my younger brother, he's like my BFF. Um, he got into Buddhism, um, I want to say three years ago. And he's always been a very chill person. <laughs> but um, he's experienced similar things with, you know, just the sense of being centered and feeling more in control of himself has been some of the things that he shared with me about the practice. I trust me, like I knew this conversation would have been very rich, but it has, (laughs) (laughs) it has been so amazing. Lissandra, I really thank you so much for um, coming on. You see, sometimes when the crosses them come, it's because you really should (laughs) make a thing happen. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It was great. I loved it. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm looking forward to sharing this episode. And of course I'll share the links to your social media and for persons to um, to learn more about you and our uh, soul career. Thank you very much. Yes, you're, you're welcome. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. All the you best too. for the rest of 2020. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Driven Woman podcast. Be sure to head over to sophiabryan.com and check out my free resources tab. I love hearing from you. So my DMs are open and you can follow me at underscore Sophia Bryan and Sophia Bryan JA on Instagram and Twitter respectively. Follow the show at Driven Woman Podcast on Twitter and on Instagram. Looking forward to hearing from you and looking forward to receiving your feedback. Until next time, stay driven.